up, everybody? Glad to be with you today. I want you to know that I will do my best to keep things clear and understandable. Studying Revelation can be complex and challenging at times, and there are many deep theological rabbit holes you can go down, as there is with studying Scripture in general. You know, but Revelation is especially that way. There are so many things that we don't know and we speculate about, but one of the great dangers is that we often speculate about the meaning of a verse or a portion of Scripture, you know, etc., and we can't find conclusive evidence in Scripture. You know, when we can't find that, we begin to guess or propose possible meanings, and then we convince ourselves that our assumption must be correct, and before you know it, that is a new doctrine or teaching that is passed on and you know as being scripture. So I definitely mess up uh, myself and and get lost in speculation sometimes. It's fascinating to to study, you know, to to wonder what something could mean and the possibilities and you know. But we must let scripture confirm scripture. Let it say what it says, not what you want it to say. And if it can't be explained or confirmed with Scripture, then maybe God did not feel like it was something we needed to fully understand. However, I do understand that we have to take Scripture, study it in context, and understand the culture it was written in so that we can best understand what is what it is that it's saying and why the writer chose to say it that way. One of the things I want everyone to understand as we go through the rest of this book is that we don't need to get lost in the weeds with looking for hidden meanings and details that aren't relevant to the general understanding of what is happening. They are fun to explore, but let's get a good grip on the basics of of the book of Revelation before we get lost in the weeds or end up down a rabbit hole somewhere. Okay, so now we move on to chapter 7. This chapter takes a break from the devastating judgments and it shows us some really important details that should inspire, encourage, and motivate you in your faith. It is a picture or a glimpse of what is to come, you know, things we long for, and a reminder that God's plan won't be stopped, and the gospel will go forth into all the earth, even during the Great Tribulation. You will also see that when God removes the church, he raises up a new group of evangelists to spread the gospel to every nation, as it was intended from the beginning. There is one other important detail that you must understand as we continue on. John is revealing things as they are shown to him, but that does not mean that everything happens in that exact order. Some things happen simultaneously while other with other events mentioned in the book, even though they may be mentioned sometime later. Some events overlap and some happen as a result of the previous event and so on. Also, some of the events jump ahead to a later time and in the overall story and then come back to an earlier time in the story, if that makes sense. You know, things, they kind of jump around sometimes. They they go forward in the tribulation period and then back, and it can get confusing at times. And I think this is where, this is where a lot of the confusion uh, comes into play, you know, comes from when trying to understand the book of Revelation. And it's, it's the timeline, and a lot of times that is a struggle, and that confuses people in the way that it's laid out, uh, and people get lost in trying to figure out where does all this fit in the timeline. So I will do my best to help sort that out, but don't worry, a lot of things get explained as we go along. But at the end of this journey through Revelation, I will recap the overall timeline 
and major events to make sure we are on the same page. So, you know, with that said, let's uh, let's look at what John sees next in chapter seven. So, chapter seven, one through four, and and we're gonna stop with the first half of this chapter. You know, dealing with the hundred and forty-four thousand. So. Chapter 7, verses 1 through 4 says, After this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the, the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or sea uh, or on any tree. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. You know, okay, so God plainly states in the verses that follow this that he will seal 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. How can there be any confusion or discrepancy with this? It is as plain and certain as any scripture can be. However, this is the group that cults like Jehovah's Witnesses like to take out of context and completely ignore who God says these people are and claim they are something else. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that exactly 144,000 faithful Christians, which that's up for debate too, but 144,000 faithful Christians from Pentecost of 33 A.D., until the present day will be resurrected to heaven as immortal being, immortal spirit beings uh, to spend eternity with God in Christ. They believe that these people are anointed by God to become part of, a, of the spiritual Israel of God. You know, this is almost comical. There is so much in this one statement of belief by the Jehovah's Witnesses that is absolutely heresy, false teaching, and 100% contradiction to the word of God. Maybe when we finish the book of Revelation, we can dive into some of the apologetics, which is defending your faith, and address the lies some of these cults or false religions make. So, God is very clear here, and it is not up for debate, nor can it even be remotely questioned at any, with any seriousness. The 144,000 are all Jewish men that are gathered and sealed by the Holy Spirit at the beginning or very close to the beginning of the tribulation period. They are not Christians uh, or Gentiles, should I say. They are not Gentiles. You know, gen- When we say Christians, we're referring to the Gentile Christians. You know, um, But they are not Christians or any uh, or anyone else. They are the 12,000 from the 12 tribes of Israel. Let's clear up the timeline regarding this group uh, and the first six seals that were opened that we've already went through. Jesus kicks off the tribulation period with, with the first seal being opened, which turns the Antichrist loose and gives him uh, permission and authority to go ahead and begin his rise to power as he sets out to conquer the nations. The 144,000 are gathered and sealed by God before the other judgments are released. The four horsemen are released one after the other, but this is what I was talking about when I said that some events that John describes actually happened before other events that he mentioned earlier. And in this case, the 144,000 are sealed after the Antichrist is turned loose, but before the devastation of the three horsemen that follow or at least early on in the releasing of the of the four horsemen, because God has to seal them 
talking about the 144,000, he has to seal them so that they will be protected from the devastation and judgment as well as the attacks of the Antichrist. So while you are reading about the first four seals being opened and the four horsemen being loosed on the earth, this sealing of the 144,000 is happening at the same time, so to speak. The fifth seal, talking about the, the martyred souls that were under the altar, the fifth seal opened just pri- opens just prior to the midpoint of the tribulation period. And the sixth seal that had all the natural disasters and, you know, that we talked about previously, it's opened at the midpoint of the tribulation period. So a pro- you know, a roughly right at that point. So now regarding the sealing of the 144,000 and the timing of it, as I mentioned, there are a couple of things to take note of. The fifth angel says in chapter 7, verse 3, Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. So right there he tells the other four angels that had been given power to harm the land or the sea. He tells them not to harm anything yet. Don't harm any of that stuff yet until he can make sure, until he can ensure that the 144,000 have been sealed with the seal of the living God. These 144,000 are believers in Yeshua or Jesus. They have been saved by the blood of the lamb and have found salvation in him. But how? The church is gone and all the believers were raptured. So how did the gospel get to these people? God likely did it himself. Like he did long ago with people like Noah and Abraham and Moses, etc. God doesn't need us to get his word out or to show people the truth. He can do it himself. But he allows us to be a part of it, to be his hands and feet so that we may be blessed for it and by it and through it. He took this remnant, this remnant of Israel and removed their heart of stone and the Holy Spirit showed them the truth and they believed. Another important fact about the 144,000 is that they're all uh, men and they're all virgins. Revelation 14 shares some more really cool details about this special group of Jewish believers, um, which really are like they become Jewish evangelists. So I will hold off on those details and save that for when we get to chapter 14. Now, these guys receive a special seal on their forehead that marks them but is not generally visible to a non-believer, okay? Because they don't want it to. God wouldn't want, you know, the Antichrist and the and those who, you know, are non-believers to be able to pick them out that easy. So, this is a seal that's on their forehead that only uh, believers can see. This seal reminds me of the blood on the doorpost during the Passover or Pesach. Um, the the death angel would not enter if the home had the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. They were sealed or protected from that judgment. In the same manner, this remnant of Israel is sealed or marked and cannot be killed or harmed by the judgments that come or by the Antichrist and his armies. They're untouchable, so to speak, right? Also, if you remember when the sixth sixth seal is opened, it says that the people cried out to be hidden from the face of God and the wrath of the lamb. And that no one could withstand their judgment. Now, you can say that in times of great destruction and chaos, it would be likely for someone to believe a higher being or God is mad at them. But these guys, 
when they when they made that statement, they were very specific. They described the Father, the face of the one who sits on the throne, and Jesus as the Lamb. Someone had to educate them on who God and Jesus is. And the church is gone, but we know that God has called and sealed 144,000 Jewish believers to go out and spread the gospel to all the nations on the earth. So it is safe to assume here that the 144,000 likely had something to do with these people knowing and recognizing that the judgment that was happening was a result of God, the Father, and Jesus, the, the Lamb. Since, you know, okay, so since we also know that the sixth seal comes around the midpoint of the tribulation period, which would give the 144,000 approximately, you know, three to three and a half years to be spreading the gospel. So that would make sense why people would have that knowledge, so to speak. You know, here's something else I find to be fascinating. God begins releasing judgment and at the same time raises up a remnant of Israel to go out and spread the gospel. Like I keep saying, where you see judgment, you will see his grace and mercy. This remnant is sent out to spread the good news of salvation and you know, to plant a seed. And when people start seeing God's judgment, they will know who is responsible, like these people did that wanted to be hidden from God's face and from the wrath of the Lamb. You know, you know, by planting this by the hundred forty four thousand planting the seeds and spreading the gospel, these people are able to recognize and they know who's responsible. And that means they will also know who to turn to in order to be saved. Even though God is justified in pouring out his judgment on the people of this world, he extends the gospel to them before, during, and after. Um, and when I say after, I mean up until the you know end of the tribulation period, so to speak. So he, he extends the gospel to them all throughout you know, before the judgment, during the judgment, toward the end of the judgment, all of it, he constantly is, extends the gospel to man. You know, and he uses this remnant of Israel to do that, to spread that gospel. Even in God's judgment, he is making a way for the lost to turn to him before it's too late. This job that the 144,000 are tasked with uh, is in, is the intended role that Israel, it's the role that God intended for Israel to have. From the beginning, they were separated from among the other nations to be a priesthood nation, a people that would take God's word and plan for salvation to the na- to the other nations. That's why they wore zitzits or tassels on their four corners of their garment, and why they their their food was restricted in a certain way, and why they were restricted from doing certain things or you know, like I said, eating certain things. God did that to set them apart, you know. And it, because they were supposed to be the conduit for his word to flow through and, you know, to and for his word to flow through and go out, through them and out into all the nations. They were supposed to be God's evangelists, but they broke God's covenant and they rejected the Messiah. So that task went to the Gentiles or the church. But in the tribulation period, that task is given back to the Jews, specifically this group of 144,000. Now, to me, this shows that when God has a plan for your life, and assigns you a task, even when you mess up and get off course, he may give that task to someone else for a time, but God can restore you to your purpose. The enemy will tell you that you messed up and that opportunity is gone. You aren't worthy or qualified to do that anymore. But I I tell you that the devil's a liar. God can restore you to your purpose as he will restore Israel. 
just look at, at the at how the twelve spirit filled uh, Jews. You know, talking about the disciples, and then you know, just just look how and the apostles should I say the so just look at how twelve spirit filled Jews turn the world upside down. Imagine what is going to happen when a hundred and forty four thousand spirit filled Jews uh, are turned loose on the world to spread the gospel. You know. Tomorrow's episode will address that very question, and it will give you a glimpse of what the result will look like from the efforts of this of these 144,000. God, this study of the 144,000 was so powerful to me. It shows that nothing can stop your plan, and just like the 144,000, we as Christians are also sealed until the day of redemption. And you have us in your hands, and nothing can take us out of your hand. But more importantly, it shows that you will stop at nothing to ensure that a lost, rebellious, undeserving world gets every opportunity to hear the gospel, to turn to you, to put their faith in Jesus all the way to the very end. You never give up. Every judgment serving like a wake-up call combined with the seeds planted by these 144,000 will cause a great multitude to come to, to faith in Jesus. God, I would just want people to see just how vast and endless your grace and mercy is. It truly pursues us in order to overtake us. It chases after the lost, making every attempt to wake them up. God, you are so good, and we don't deserve that goodness apart from Christ. So we are grateful for the cross and the righteousness given to us through the blood of Jesus. Jesus, pour out your spirit on your people and let there be a great awakening in the church. Let the men of God rise up and take their place and let the women of God do the same. Let the church stand and be counted. Let the church fulfill its purpose and let that purpose take hold in our own lives and in our hearts. Give us the strength, Jesus, to rise up and declare your truth with a bold faith. Amen.